All right, are we ready to dive in? Faith part 10. The good news is if you have not heard parts one through nine, this will, this will stand alone, um, and so you'll be all right this morning. All right, well, let's pray, and you know, the same God that we've been worshiping and that we pause to say, God, speak to our hearts, that same God, we're inviting him to come and make this real to us today. I, I don't want to just give you guys like three bullet points and get out of here to lunch. It's not the point. The living God loves us, and I believe he wants to speak some truth into our hearts today. So let's invite him to come teach us. So Jesus, thank you that you are the living word, and thank you that you make the scripture come alive. You embodied it, you lived it, and God, you, you now want it to happen in our hearts. Holy Spirit, um, this scripture is called your sword. It's the sword of the spirit, and it, it speaks right to our hearts. And so God, would you make this word come alive in us? Help us to, to see it clearly. God, help us to understand more and more our faith journey with you um, and to put into practice the things we're learning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so a lot of times I'll, I'll open up the service with like a personal story or an anecdote or whatever, but instead of doing that, we're actually gonna look at, at a simple story from the scripture to kind of launch things this morning. Um, and so just to give you a little bit of a background, we're going to pick up in Mark chapter 5 in just a moment. Um, but we are coming in on the story of a woman who's had a very long journey. She, she has had years of struggle and suffering with no answers. And in fact, the answers that she pursued and got at times made things worse in trying to change, in trying to get healing, in, in trying to get past this place where she was stuck. She didn't sit by passively. She pursued healing, and yet she was left with disappointment over and over again. And so Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, we're going to hear a bit of this story, beginning in verse 25. Jesus, just for some context, is, is passing through a town. He's actually on his way somewhere else to meet a need, to heal someone else. And these crowds are just crowding around him. And so on his way there, this story takes place. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. That's a long time. Who had suffered much under many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Man, this is a miracle on a lot of levels. And so this morning, what, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about faith. And specifically, I want to talk to you guys about faith that works. Faith that works. And so we're going to look at some, some scriptures that um, have created some, some controversy, some complication in the church for centuries. We wrestle through, God, where, where does faith and the issue of works, what I do, how do those two fit together? 
And there's some places that seem to disagree with each other actually pretty strongly in the scripture. But I just wanted to start by looking at this woman because the things, the very practical, simple things that she walks out and does in that story give us a picture of what this looks like. All right? So let's, let's jump into this. So we're going to be spending time looking at some of the things that Paul, the Apostle Paul, had to say about faith and some of the things that James had to say about faith. And so here we go. We're going to start in James chapter 2, verse 14. He begins talking about this idea, and he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So he actually poses a question. This is a question, if we take it seriously, it, it lies at the heart of the nature of our faith and our salvation in Jesus. It's a big question. If our faith isn't producing something, can that faith really save me? Now, to, to start things off, to be really clear, I want you guys to understand what that word save means. It's the Greek word sozo, S-O-Z-O is how we kind of write it out in English. Sozo, it means to save. Okay, that seemed obvious, Jake. To deliver. It means to make whole. It means to preserve safe from danger. So I'm in a dangerous situation. I get kind of rescued through it. I'm protected in it. Uh, it means to preserve from loss or destruction. The basic meaning of this verb is to rescue from peril, to protect, or to keep alive. In its context throughout the scripture, it addresses preservation of life, both physical and spiritual. So it's, it's not just this issue of, am I saved spiritually? Like, do I belong to God and I'm going to heaven? It, the, the word is broader than that. So let me give you a taste of this. In the Gospels alone, just looking at the ministry of Jesus, this word save comes up 54 times. It shows up in the Gospels. 14 of those times, so almost a third of those times, relate to deliverance and healing from physical disease or demonic activity. So it's, it's an intervention physically to rescue, to heal, to make whole. Another 20 times, it's used in reference of rescuing your physical life when there's impending doom. So as an example, when the disciples are in the boat and there's a huge storm and they're freaking out and they cry out, save us, they're not looking to go to heaven. In fact, they're hoping not to in that moment. They're saying, save us from this storm that's going to cause us to drown. And, and so 20 times in the Gospels, this word save is like being rescued from a difficult or dangerous circumstance. All right? And then another 20 times, it's in reference to spiritual salvation, where Jesus is talking about the work that he does to, to rescue our lives, to redeem our lives. Are y'all are catching that? So it's, it's a deep, full picture. So here's James saying, listen, we just have to ask the question, does our faith save us? And he's kind of putting forth this challenge that there should be some works that, that align with our faith. So what I want to do is take about five minutes or so. We're going to look at several verses. I'm going to briefly comment on them. 
um, that just sort of highlight the controversy, if you will, that highlight some of the contradiction that we see in Scripture, and hopefully we'll find, find some common ground here, okay? So we're going to do this by looking at some things that Paul wrote and some things that James wrote, unpacking this idea of faith. So if you're following along in your Bible, you might have to move kind of quickly. You may want to jot these down. They'll be up on the screen as well. Uh, we're going to be in James Gospel chapter 2. We're going to be in Romans chapters 3 and 4. And we'll also glance at Galatians chapter 3. All right, that's where we're heading. Y'all with me? Yeah? I'm, I'm not convinced. There's some slight nods that are a little apprehensive. I might be with you. I don't know. All right, James chapter 2, verse 17 this same passage where James kind of throws out this question, he then lets you know what he thinks. James chapter 2, verse 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, if you have faith and I have works, show me your faith, he says, apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, right? So you believe in who God is, Great, you do well. We're commended. But even the demons believe that, and they, sh they shudder, they tremble. So demons believe in the concept of who God is. They don't doubt that he's real and that he exists. Verse 20, do you want to be shown, you foolish per person, that faith apart from works is useless? So he's making the case that if our faith is not connected to, to action, if, we don't, if it doesn't change something in us, if, if there's not something that works its way out of us, that it's, it's a dead and useless faith is what James is saying. All right, James, man, that's strong, but okay, I'm with you, I'm listening. Now, Paul writes about this issue of faith related to works and fulfilling what we see in Scripture in Romans chapter 3 and 4. We're going to just look at some, some chunks of this. So let's start in chapter 3. Beginning in verse 22, this is kind of the second half of verse 22. For there is no distinction, there's nothing, nothing different about any of us. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, there's a big word there, he, he took care of our issue for us by his blood, and it's to be received by faith. Skipping down to verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. All right, so Paul, James, y'all just want to get in a room and kind of duke it out and then let us know who comes out the winner. <laughs> like, you see that tension? It, it's real. And listen, I'm not just arbitrarily picking a couple of verses here. We could, we could unpack this for a while. There's a real tension here. So, so I want to show you something that might actually be even more confusing. So they each give us some examples. They, they point to some, some fathers of the faith, people in the scripture that we can look at as an example for how this works itself out. And so let's start with Paul now moving over into Romans chapter 4. So he's building on this idea in verses 1 through 5. He gives us an example. He says, 
What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. I want y'all to hear that again. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. He says, listen, there's a real problem. When, when we attach work to being right with God, then we start to view it as if we are owed something. When I work, I expect to get paid. I'm not going to stay working for someone very long if I keep showing up and doing the work they're asking me to do every day and they just decide to stop paying me for it. I'm going to go down the road and find the person that's going to actually pay me for my labor. So he's saying, listen, we have to be careful because if we adopt this mindset that I'm working or earning my salvation, it becomes something I'm owed. And that is not the case. It's something I receive as a gift. I am right with God by trusting that he's done it. And he points to Abraham and said, Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now this quote is from Genesis chapter 15 when God tells Abraham, hey bro, that's the original Hebrew there, hey bro, even though you're getting really old, you're gonna have a son. In fact, you're gonna have so many descendants I want you to look up at the sky right now. See all those stars? It's going to outnumber those stars in the sky. And the scripture says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. No participation on his part. God, I'm just believing you're going to somehow do this miracle, even though I'm an old man and my wife is old. I'm, I trust you. I believe you. And so Paul uses him as an example. All right, that gives some clarity. Great. Back to James chapter 2. James, writing on this issue of faith and works. James 2 verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac, the one that was promised, on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He points to the same passage to make a different point. Am I the only one that's confused by that? <laughs> What's going on here? They're, they're pointing to the same story, the same reference, and seemingly coming up with two different conclusions. And he finishes off by saying in verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not faith alone. Faith is completed by works is what he's saying. And he uses this example again from Abraham's life related to his son where Abraham worked something out. He did something he was asked to do, and he connected it to faith. What's going on here? And plus, he calls us foolish. Did y'all catch that? That seems kind of harsh. You foolish persons. Like, don't miss this. Works matters. 
And then almost as if in answer, Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, Oh, foolish Galatians, <laughs> who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? Verse 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. They're each warning us so strongly with language that they would call us a fool. That's, fool's like a curse word in the Bible. Like if you read through the Bible, it's like one of the most derogatory things you can say to someone is calling them a fool. And they're each saying, don't be a fool. Don't miss this. Your works matter. And then Paul's going, don't be a fool. Don't miss this. You can't add anything to what Jesus has done. And they both say, look at Abraham, who just trusted and believed, or who worked it out and did the stuff he was told to do and was justified by that. What gives? What's going on here? There, I actually believe it's, it's by God's grace that they all point to Abraham. Because I, I think there's a path we're going to see as we look at this. So, so here, here's what I want to say for some encouragement. And then we're going to going to look at Abraham's life and hopefully get some clarity from that, okay? A couple things I want to say. Number one, um, we would do well to learn to embrace some of the mystery that we see in the Scripture. There are seeming paradoxes throughout the Scripture. There are things that are just hard to wrap our heads around. And all too often... In church history, in, in our day-to-day -day lives, we can get caught up in some of these controversies and argue about them. I mean, we could, we could get some predestination, free will argument going here this morning if we wanted. Yeah, let's not. <laughs> let's not. But there's, there's a rush to figure it out. There's a, there's a rush to kind of find the right side and plant our flag there. And I just want to say to you, I think we would do well as believers to let God be mysterious. He's holy. That means he is different from me. There are things that he sees that I don't see. There are things that he understands that I don't understand. And so our starting point should be to approach God with some humility and position ourselves as a learner, not a knower. If I think I've got it all figured out, I'm missing an opportunity to get to know the true and living God who's holy and loves me. And the same way he could look at Abraham and say, that's my friend, he wants to say that to you and I. That's my friend. And so there's, there's an invitation so I, I want to encourage you, be willing to embrace some of the mystery. 
hold, hold, I said this a couple weeks ago about a different topic, but like, let's hold our opinions loosely. And, and let's, let's hold some of the mystery of the gospel reverently. Now, having said that, I do believe that as, as we lean into this God of mystery, that he can bring some clarity into our lives. But I actually believe there's a reason why on paper, if you're making your bullet point list, it doesn't make sense. Because he doesn't want us to settle for principles. He wants us to choose relationship. The way that I'm going to learn some of these things that God wants to show me is not because some really good Bible teacher got up and mapped it all out perfect for, perfectly for me on the whiteboard. It's because I went and decided I'm going to spend time with that mysterious God who says he loves me and wants to justify me. And he's inviting me to have faith to believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who casually attend occasionally church on Sunday morning. That's not meant to be a knock on not coming to church every Sunday. Even if you're at church every Sunday, that's not the point. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We get rewarded when we pursue a relationship with Jesus. Let's let him teach us this stuff. And so that's the mystery Abraham lived out. He just got to know this God and spent time with him. So let's just bullet point through this a little bit. If you want to really camp for a little while with this topic, go read through Genesis chapter 12 through 25 and just look at the life of Abraham. And what you will see is a guy who gets credited as being a friend of God and the father of our faith is a really imperfect dude who messes up a lot. And yet God says he's justified by his faith and, man, look at his works, look at his life. He follows me, he trusts me. And so I just want to give you a glimpse of this. So, so first story, Genesis chapter 15, Abraham has already moved away to a new place. He was called to go to a land God would show him. And so he moves away and he's followed God. And as he's done this, he's like, great, this is a cool new place that I get to inherit. Cool. Who am I going to leave it to? God, what was the point of picking up my life and my family and moving here and this land's just going to belong to some stranger after I die. What was the point of that? And so in Genesis 15, God says, no, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you generations like the stars. In fact, what Paul was talking about there, he even says in that passage that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Like the ripple effects are going to be massive. And so in that moment, in that season, as Abraham stands there looking up at the stars in a brand new place that God's saying, this is becoming your own, as, as an old man, this isn't a guy that's kind of like on the cusp of his middle age years, you know, that's like still hoping maybe he'll have a child. This is someone who's like, he's, he's grandpa age. He's pushing great grandpa age. And God's saying, you're gonna have a kid. And in his heart, Genesis 15, 6, he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Right there in that moment, it was just an act of the heart. God, I believe you. Second story, chapter 16, Abraham does something none of us ever do. He took matters into his own hands. 
And the very next chapter, he's trying to figure out how to make this work. God, I believe you're going to do it. Here's how I think, here, let me help you along. Here's how I think this will work out. And so he works out, him and Sarah come up with this whole plan that her servant, Hagar, maybe she can get pregnant. And, and that'll be how the son of promise comes. And so they go down that whole road. And God doesn't look at that story and then go, Abraham, that's it. You're disqualified. You're out. Moving on to the next man of faith. Maybe he'll get it right. God actually does some cool stuff with Hagar and her son. And God says, I still have a plan that I'm asking you to trust and watch how I work it out. Listen, one of our biggest steps of faith is actually that at times we will fail. Did you know that's an important step of faith? Failure is an important step of faith. When I'm participating and pursuing him and decide not to just sit back passively on the sideline, but God, I, I want to be engaged in life with you, sometimes we're going to get it wrong. And there is actually freedom in our relationship with God to get stuff wrong. He's about this. God, I, I trust you. I'm following you. I'm pursuing you. And, and there's room to fail. And I think, I think some of us don't even get out of the starting blocks in our faith journey because we're trying to figure out this mysterious thing of the will of God that we don't just, just go for it with him. It's okay to fail. We learn from failure. We learn about him. He redeems us. He loves us. He doesn't give up on us. Our biggest failures in life can actually be some of the places where we learn and grow the most. I, I don't usually learn that much from things that are working successfully in my life. I tend to not even really realize how they're working or what's happening. I just sort of live it out. But man, the failures, those, those land, those stick. But when they don't drive us away from him, when they bring us to him, they teach us something. And so Abraham, in his faith journey, Messed up, but he was willing to try things. He was willing to go for it. And even in his failure, God was there. Okay, verse uh, chapter 22 now, something that James referenced. He was willing to sacrifice something incredibly important to him. In fact, he was actually willing to sacrifice the very promise God had given. There was an action step required there. Abraham, will you sacrifice your son? Abraham doesn't do it, but it's not because he wasn't willing. God intervened. But part of Abraham's act of faith is that he believed that God was going to work it out. We get some insight of this in Hebrews 11 where, where Abraham's reasoning, like, I don't know how this is going to happen, but maybe he's going to raise my son from the dead. He doesn't know the how, but he just trusts, God asked me to do something, I'm going to do it. So part of my faith journey today is God's speaking something clear, and I'm willing to take steps even though it feels off. It challenges me. It's a, it's a sacrifice for me. But it's what he's saying today, so I'm going to obey him and walk it out. He was willing to do it. Ultimately, Abraham gets to the end of his life, and he's had one kid. The guy who was promised, like, kids like the stars in the heaven, all nations of the world being blessed through them. At the end of his life, there was one kid. That was it. 
He never even got to see the ultimate fulfillment of the promise. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 12 and 13 talks about this. It's positioned right in the middle of, of the writer of Hebrews unpacking Abraham and Sarah's journey. It says, Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar off, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. See, in Hebrews 11, we've been camping for a lot of this series. You know, over and over again, it gives us stories of people who had faith and trusted God. You know what I've noticed about those stories? They all start kind of the same. It says, by faith, and then it says, so-and-so did such-and-such. None of those stories say, by faith, they sat and pondered and internalized their faith. They lived it. They, they lived a relationship with God. This, this mystery of how faith and works operate in our lives, I don't want to steal that mystery from you. What I do want to say is that you will receive clarity when you live out your faith in a real relationship with God. There are moments in our life where what we do is, is we sit there and believe. We trust him. God, I am trusting you. I'm trusting that you've saved me, that you loved me, that I'm all good with you. There are times in faith where we feel stirred up to go and do some stuff, to, to influence somebody's life. Maybe we feel like there's an adventure God's calling us to. Sometimes there's mystery in that. We're not even sure if we're hearing right, but just something else is stirred. It's like, I got to go. Great, go for it. You know what? It might not work out. It might go badly. I came to Knoxville several years before we decided to move here, thinking we're going to go, and man, it's going to be so clear we're supposed to move here. And we come out here, and it couldn't have been like more of an echo chamber. I mean, it was like I'm talking to these cinder block walls, and it's only my voice reverberating back. In fact, we felt so unclear about what God was saying and so stuck, we actually got stuck. Amy and I were supposed to go to the Vols game. I think it was like back when they did Booms Day. Anybody been in Knoxville long enough to have celebrated a Booms Day? I miss it. I was all excited when I moved here and they didn't do it anymore. I was so bummed. But it was Booms Day weekend and so we came to town. Savannah was a student at UT, got us tickets to the game. We got to sneak into the student section. But it's hours before the game, and we're driving around Knoxville trying to figure out, God, are we supposed to be here? We're not hearing anything. And so we go look at this house that's out in the middle of nowhere in, like, South Knoxville. And we're in the woods, and we go down this long driveway, and we're trying to see the house. And anyway, we get out there, and we get out of the car, and my, my truck had, like, sunk down into the mud. It had been raining a lot that weekend. And I only had a two-wheel drive truck. And we're trying to get it out, and then as I'm as – I'm, getting the tires moving, I'm trying to do all the right stuff. The only thing that would happen is we would slide further in. And I was so frustrated. I'm covered in mud. We're supposed to be at this football game soon. Like, I'm throwing things and saying things and who knows what. I mean, I'm a mess. And I just, 
I felt stuck and I sit in the bed of the truck with Amy and I'm like, what is happening to us right now is literally how I feel in my life across the board. I feel stuck and I'm not hearing from God. I have no idea what we're supposed to do. This trip feels like a failure. I don't feel like we're just supposed to go home. I, I just, I don't know. If you'd talk to me in that moment, Knoxville was a solid no. God didn't talk to me anymore and I was a failure. Thankfully, a tow truck came and got us out about an hour later because they're towing trucks like cars like crazy because everybody parks illegally on football Saturdays. We got somebody out there, barely made it to the game, but we were stuck, man. And it's great to tell that story now, and I can laugh. I, I was not laughing at the time. I didn't laugh about that for a long time. This is part of the mystery. We'll get, we'll get stuck along the way. Sometimes in our faith journey, he's saying something to us, and we know it. And we know there's something that we are being called to do. Will we do it? Will we do it in that moment? Will we obey? It's a journey. It's a process. I'm thankful for Paul because I think he summarizes this pretty well in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, where he says, it's for by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast, but verse 10. So often we stop at verse 9. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Are there times where God is calling us to action? Yes. Do my actions make me right with God? No. Are my actions an active participation in my relationship with him? Absolutely. When faith is striving and it's based on human effort, it's wrong. When I realize that faith is a gift, it enables our worshipful response to be that we believe that this God is present and with me and, you know, might want to interact with me. And he might even invite me to participate with him in this world. He might do that. Moving to Knoxville doesn't feel like faith to me anymore, but it did when we moved here. We were leaving the familiar, the comfortable, the known to come to a brand new place where we knew no one. And we believed that there could maybe be a really cool community, a church family who kept things simple, that we recognized God's great love for us. We learned to love each other, maybe even like each other, and then share that with people around us. I can't make that happen. I can't do that. All we knew to do was say, okay, Lord, we'll go. So we came. We try to participate, and there's all kinds of stuff I still can't make happen. And he's going, yeah, you're not supposed to. Duh, oh foolish one. So we just, we just try to live with him in faith. And a lot of it is just sitting and trusting. And some of it is activity he calls us to. And it's mysterious. But I'm convinced of this. Faith that works is faith that works. 
faith that is active and participates and engages with a living God who's real is faith that will produce something beneficial. I just don't know what that is for you. I don't know what it is today. I don't know what it is a month from now, six months now, a year from now. That's part of faith. God, that whatever you're producing, it's going to be right. It's going to be good. I want to leave you with this thought or a couple thoughts to wrestle with. How, how do we put this into practice? So there's, there's two or three things I see in, in Abraham's life. There were times where he was just believing God for something. He was believing God for that son. And so what did that require? It, it required trust. I'm going to trust you for this, God. I'm going to trust you for it. There were times where his, his faith meant something needed to be sacrificed. God was saying, for your benefit, there's something I'm asking you to sacrifice. So what's our, that was weird. So what, so what do we do? We let go. We were singing this. We let go of that thing and pursue him. There were times where his act of faith was trusting God simply in the waiting and in his failing and believing that in the waiting and in the failing, God was there and he was present and it was going to be all right. It's going to be all right. So how do we live this out? I want to give you some examples. Number one, you want to see miracles and healing? You want to be able to pray for people and see them be healed? You know what you can do? Pray for people to be healed. Like, just do it. I've wrestled for years with, like, God, I'd like to see more of that. Cool. Every opportunity that presents itself, pray. Pray at home. Pray with your spouse. Pray right there with the person. They're telling you they're sick. They're not feeling well. Hey, let me pray with you. Why do I do that? Because I believe God heals, and he's here, and he's present. Am I going to see something miraculous happen every time? No. But I for sure won't see it if I don't do it. So I want to pray. If I believe God loves the people that are around me and calls me to love my neighbor, right? We, we love the simplicity of the gospel, right? Jesus summarizes it. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Cool. What does it look like in faith to say, God, what does it look like right now today for me to love my neighbor? And then let me go do that. There's something to consider. What if we believed we were called to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? What if we thought about what that could look like? God, what does that look like for me and you right now? And then act on it. Is there some space, some time I can give you? Finally, faith leads us to see God's hand as it leads us into adventure. Don't be afraid of failure. Is there, is there something maybe that's been tugging at your heart that you think maybe you're supposed to do? Somebody you're supposed to talk to, whatever. I don't, I don't know what it is. And, and the thing maybe holding you back is what if that doesn't work? What if it does? And if it doesn't work, what might God teach you even in that failure? Be willing to fail. It'll be all right. There's some stuff for you to wrestle with in your life groups. There's some stuff for you to wrestle with on your own this week. 
I want to finish by reading the words of Jesus to this precious woman that had, had come to him. Because in, in her simple few verses, she lived everything that we're talking about. She failed. She struggled. She had to wait patiently. In the midst of all of it, she didn't stop believing. She believed Jesus could heal her. But she didn't sit there in the crowd and hope he might look at her that day. She believed that he could heal her, so she went and grabbed a hold of him. And after this happened, Jesus looked at her in Mark chapter 5, verse 34. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well, sozo, saved. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. I want my faith to have some works in it. I want to pursue a real God who loves me, who invites me into relationship, invites me into adventure, and he probably is going to invite me to love on some other people too. And if I do that with him, man, what things we might see happen. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are holy and you are just and you are loving and you are a healer. And God, I acknowledge that I'm still trying to figure out what it means to have faith in you. God, there's times I think that I have that figured out and that's usually when I'm the most off. God, I'm grateful I can come to you in humility and as a learner and say, God, I just know that I need you. What does it look like to have faith in you today? Does it, does it look like faith for me to give up control and stop doing some stuff and just trust you because I'm a control freak? Then, God, I'll do that. Lord, if I've been calling it faith when it's really just been passivity and you're calling me to action, Lord, I want to do that. God, if you're inviting me by faith just to know you more, to be a Mary, to sit at your feet, God, show me what that might look like. God, we thank you for the gift of your grace, your presence. We choose to believe that what you offer is real and it's available. And so we just position ourselves to receive it. And God, whatever part of us is supposed to pursue you to take hold of what you have for us, God, we choose to say yes to that. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen.